We are all individuals in, in different ways. You know, we are trying to really achieve the same thing. We are united by the fact that, you know, we are all part of this humanity. But I think, you know, once you recognize the the inherent similarity, then I think it'll be easier to deal with those differences. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome, everybody, to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach. And I am here with none other than Rajesh Kumar, Dr. Rajesh Kumar. And he is a CEO and founder of an organization called Global Strategic Advisory. He helps international brands navigate across cross-cultural differences and avoid, don't miss this, everybody, multi-billion dollar expansion mistakes. Please welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm good, Nicole. Good to be here. Yeah, great to be with you. And uh, I love being with people who care about culture as much as I do. I think that we're going to have a fantastic talk, but you know what I'm doing? I am collecting definitions of leadership. So I want to know right out of the gate, what is your definition of leadership? So I would define leadership as actually doing the right thing, as actually leading rather than following other trends. So for me, I think leadership is, uh, is about having the conviction and the courage and the commitment to do what is the most appropriate. All right. And so I, I love your three C's, conviction, courage, and commitment. Everybody write that down. Yes. And, uh, and what I see is that very often people are swayed by the winds of what's happening externally or internally. And they lose that inner compass. And that inner compass is about, you know, what is most relevant, what is most appropriate. So that's my particular definition. I mean, there's so many definitions of leadership. Yes, absolutely. But I think yours is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So I'm going to compile all these and we're going to do something with them. That's fantastic. Well, you have a really interesting expertise. You teach leaders in companies that are international how to cross the boundaries of the globe. So I want to hear about that. What what do leaders who are going to do business around the world need, need to know? I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, they need to have a sense of awareness in terms of differences, in terms of understanding diversity, which is absolutely critical because, you know, without that sense of awareness and self-knowledge, it is hard to actually initiate any particular action. Now, of course, in recent years, a lot of companies that have started their DEI programs. And so I think there is that awareness that is probably building. But I think historically, I think uh, that has been an issue. Uh, so we've often employed uh, an American mindset to look at other situations. And I think that can, uh, certainly if you're doing business globally, can cause lots of challenges and problems. So could you share a story of how you have seen somebody take an American mindset towards an international opportunity? 
right and, and messed it up because of that maybe you should change the names to protect the innocent or something but could you kind of tell us what what could go wrong if we don't have a more global mindset okay and i would say before i do before i you know give you a story i would say that i think this is a phenomenon that is present in all cultures so even indian french or german companies have that same particular problem and that same set of issues yes so i can give you an example of a of a company that actually went to india a long long time ago and they tried to negotiate in the typical american fashion yes and you know i think one of the challenges is that they did not realize that their own assumptions may not be valid in a different cultural context and ultimately i think it gets down to the issue of assumptions that we make and assumptions are not something that we are conscious of yes so they assume that because the country needed x a product x that they would be willing to pay uh, any amount of price for it yes but that was misleading that's a wrong assumption yes you uh, and certainly for india which is a very price sensitive market i think uh, that is very very critical and then you know and so they thought that you know we are doing country a big favor which were again reflected a certain kind of arrogance and it did not sit well with people in that particular country and so ultimately they put a lot of effort they they had a lot of support but eventually the project collapsed yeah and um you know one thing i read about on your website and hey everybody you can check uh dr kumar he's out at globalstrategicadvisory.com he's actually got an article on his website on the roles of assumptions in yes. cross cultural negotiations so that's why it's probably top of mind for him yeah so so these people made assumptions and like hey everybody listening we know what assume means right you make an ass out of you and me like you all know that i'll just tell you um and that sounds like what happened he was arrogant and they're like listen we're not dealing with this arrogant right person. so you know i think they they ended up in a in a kind of a negative vicious circle so you know so one assumption is and more concretely i will explain that is so typically you're taught that if you're doing something which is very high risk you need high return yes so you need the compensation for the extra risk but we can look at it other way around as well which is that if you expect and want a high rate of return maybe that lead to greater risk absolutely and, uh, <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened in this case and right, so right. the perception was that this company was benefiting a lot and and uh, the other country was not So okay. yeah so I've seen this happening in a number of different situations and I can give you other examples as well. Okay. Well, here here's my next question is so let's say that I am going to negotiate with a country and a company yes. that I know no could benefit me. I know that the relationship would be valuable to both of us, but I do not know 
the cultural differences. So obviously I could hire you to consult on this deal, but what, you know, how, if I wanted to figure out what to do on my own, uh, how do I go about figuring out the cultural differences um, that might exist and how do I get myself kind of savvy around all that? You know, I think if you have no clue, then you have to go to a consultant. Alternatively, if you have people in your network who know about that particular culture, who have connections in that culture, that is absolutely very, very important. So, for example, in China, it's very hard to do business unless you don't develop Guangxi, which is know someone who can actually introduce you. So I think introductions are important in all everywhere in terms of business relationships. But certainly, I think in uh, more collectivistic cultures, they take on supreme importance. And you've got to you've got to spend time in terms of relationship building, and uh, which means you you spend a lot of time socializing, entertaining, and you know many Americans think that's a waste of time. <laughs> And uh, and so and and so and they want to get down to business straight off. And in many cultures, that does not work. And and again, the assumption is, or the mistaken assumption is that that business is about you know talking about the natures of the deal, the specific contracts, and all of it. But what is missing here is the recognition that even socializing is really a way of parties trying to assess each other. Can I trust you? Can they trust me? Uh, Are we comfortable with their particular style of doing business? So, and and in collectivistic cultures, that becomes extremely important. So you've got to have the cultural sensitivity because otherwise I think you might, you know, create problems and then trying to rectify that deal, rectify that mistake will cost you a lot of time and money. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I love what you're saying. So there's there's the nature of the contracts, there's the actually getting down to business, talking about the numbers. But before any of that happens, you're telling me that we got to socialize, assess each other and build trust, get, yes. get comfortable with each other. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I, I think about uh, that. And so tell me about building trust. What, what are the ones that you find? What, what skills does a leader need to have to build trust, maybe in a lot of cultures or cross cultures? All right. That's a big one. And I think they uh, and in different cultures, there might be different demands. But I think fundamentally, you've got to be very open to begin with, to uh, to enter an interaction with an open mind. Because, you know, you're not really using your own preconceptions as to, or relying on stereotypes, which, are, which can be extremely misleading. So there might be some element of truth in a stereotype, but you have to realize that every situation that you're entering into is very unique. And you have the personalities of individuals and all of it, and the context of the interaction. So I think open-mindedness is certainly very, very uh, important. Second, I would say is you've got to have patience. 
because things are going to take time. And of course, Americans are very goal-oriented, very focused on getting things done in an, exp in an expeditious way. But that's not how the rest of the world actually operates. And so you've got to allow, uh, certainly if it's a project which is very, very important for you, I think you've got to be patient. Uh, do not rush things. Uh, you know, it can, uh, with that, yeah, it can actually cause problems. And the third thing I would say is that um, have a sense of curiosity, you know, and, uh, and because I think that is very, very important in terms of, you know, having the motivation to understand where the people are coming from, what their backgrounds are, and all of it. And this notion of curiosity, I've noticed it myself when I interviewed Japanese managers way back in the mid-80s and late 80s when I was doing my dissertation. They would spend hours with me. So I interviewed both American and Japanese managers, but for, for the Japanese, as I sense, they were as interested in learning from me as I was interested in uh, getting information from them. So typically, I remember there was one meeting that lasted for four hours, whereas with the American managers, they were very professional, courteous, but it was 30, 45 minutes or thereabouts. So you see a difference in perspective, a difference in attitude, and this role of curiosity was also brought to my attention. I was talking to a Dutch expatriate who's lived in Japan for many years, and um, and he was saying, yeah, Japanese, extremely curious people. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and, so, and so you've got to have the motivation and the willingness to understand a different kind of people coming from a different cultural background. Yeah, I love everything you're saying. Okay, so I just want to recap what you just said so the listeners get it. So, you know, this thing of slowing down. Uh, assessing the situation and building trust is of utmost importance if you're doing international uh, yeah. relationships with different yeah. companies. Uh, number one, open-mindedness. Try to park your stereotypes on the curb before right. you go in. Yes. Everybody's unique. Everybody's got a different personality. Um, be patient uh, and then have a sense of curiosity. I just love that. Yeah, I um, I have a I have a client. Her name is Amy, and she traveled to Italy. Yes. And uh, she, she was she had never been, and so she was with a company called Bank of America, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yes. And when she traveled, when she traveled there, she said. Like we would like, you know, are we going to talk about, you know, what we're going to do? And they're like, no, we're going to have lunch first. Yeah. And then th that it was this two hour lunch. And then they were dr having her drink wine. She's like, how am I going to, you know, negotiate anything while well, I've had three glasses of wine? Because <laughs> you know? so if you don't drink is, it, they're like, drink it, drink it. <laughs> so the thing is, same thing in Mexico, for example, again, you know, same thing. And so what you have to recognize is that that's part of business as well. It's right. not something that is separate from business. And right. so you've really got to uh, got to got to have the feel and uh, and and really and really be open to the new experiences that are going to await you. Yeah, and, and you're not using your own complaint. 
Right. And she had a wonderful time. I mean, like, you know, when she looked back now that she looks back at it, she's like, why, you know, why couldn't I just relax, you know, and enjoy this, you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. So really, really great. And, you know, one thing that's coming to me while you're, you're talking, Dr. Kumar, is this idea of like going a little bit deeper with people. When you were talking about the Japanese manager who gave you all this time, it seems like when you go deeper, it's better. Of course. And, and so so think, why is it better? Well, so I think one thing is that when you go deeper, you get to really understand. I mean, that's right. true in any relationship, isn't it? And yes. so, you know, you have to go deeper to really get a feel for the other person and for the other person to feel you. And that is what also leads to connection. So in the U.S., we often talk about it in the context of personal relationships where you're looking for that emotional attunement, yes? So what I would say is that that in business relationships, it's not exactly the same, but there has to be a certain degree of emotional attunement as well, Uh, which is, do I like you? Do I respect you? Do I trust you? Because, you know, if I think those particular parameters are not there, I think... uh, you know, it may have problems. Yeah, so, absolutely. So the similarity is not 100%, but I think there is a certain component of it that should come into business relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. So he's what he's talking about, everybody, emotional attunement. It's, you know, what we call EQ, emotional intelligence, right? So trying to understand and, and dial in attunement, dial in uh, to what other people are all about. And I love that, you know, uh, one of the questions I ask people all the time, executives that I coach, I say, um, what is it like to experience you? And this this question oftentimes flummoxes people, um, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you have to realize you're not going to do good business internationally, nationally, locally, uh, if you aren't somebody, like you said, who is likable, respectable, and trustworthy. I mean, these are very important things. Right. All yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Now, at the same time, while every individual we meet is unique, you have a wonderful quote on your website that I wrote down because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna share it with people because I think it's really great. So we're all different. However, this is what Dr. Kumar says. He says cultural differences should be managed through the prism of similarity. While cultural differences exist and will not go away, one has to recognize that amidst the differences. There is a similarity that emerges from the fact that we are all human. The recognition of this is essential. Don't miss that, everybody. Essential, non-negotiable. If one is to manage the differences productively. Oh, my God. I thought that was so good. I love it. So so talk about managing through the prism of similarity. What What do you mean by that? What I mean is that, you know, we are all individuals in in different ways. You know, we are trying to really achieve the same thing. We are united by the fact that, you know, we are all part of this humanity. So it is this oneness. And so it is kind of a spiritual concept in a way, which I'm, uh, you know, which I'm borrowing from. But I think, you know, once you recognize the the inherent similarity, then I think it'll be easier to deal with those differences. So typically what happens is that 
when individuals do not have a recognition of that, they see a difference and they get flummoxed. You know, how could they be so different? How could they be so rude? How could they do this, right? And so you focus then on the negatives rather than actually on the positive. And in any relationship, I believe, I think you need to accentuate the positive rather than focus on the differences. Uh, absolutely. Otherwise, it's going to be miserable and you're not going to find it. Well, it's this thing of finding common ground. Exactly. Right? That's correct. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, I think the thing where, you know, I was saying that, you know, people want to entertain, they want to go to dinner. I was talking yeah. about Amy and the, the Italian business yeah. that she was meeting with, wanted her to go to lunch before they ever did anything. Yeah. Um, because here's, here's the, here's the common ground. Here's the similarity. I mean, everybody likes to eat good food. Yeah, that's correct. That's right. Right. I mean, I don't know a human on planet earth that'd want to sit down to a nice, plate of taste. Yes, so I think typically what happens for people here is they're going on a business trip. They're away from their family. They want to finish, do it as soon as possible and return home. Right. right? <laughs> so I think for them, then all of this becomes a waste of time. Right. They say, why can't we just, why can't we just uh, deal with the issue at hand? But uh, the fact is that in other cultures, they people take out time. Right. And, you know, if you just think about business in general, yes. why would you not want to develop a deep, long lasting relationship? So you have a continued opportunity to do business, generate revenue, whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, it just really doesn't make any sense not to do it another way, just in terms of like, if I think about me giving customer service to my clients, yeah, I try to, I get, try to know them and love them as much as I can. Uh, and right. then that way they stick with me. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I yeah. think, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, you've really hit the nail on the head because this is the attitude that Asian companies basically have. So they want to do business for the longer term and not necessarily for the short term. Yes. So here, I, you know, I think it becomes difficult because people, there's a very high degree of job mobility in the U.S. So people are moving from one company to another. So there isn't that sense of loyalty. Whereas if you take a look, traditionally Japanese companies, people rarely moved. So, you know, different incentives. So, you know, uh, this is all, this is a country all about making money, whereas other cultures are less so. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I appreciate the American standpoint that like, let's make money because yeah. <laughs> it makes life, it makes life nice. If you've Absolutely. got a roof yeah. over your head, yes. you that good yeah. plate of food in front of you and all that. Yeah. But um, I do think uh, I have a, I have a mentor, Dr. Kumar and her name's Anne and she, and, and I, and my personality is a go, go, go kind of personality. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but she tells me all the time, you got to slow down to the speed of your soul. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, so this idea of, you know, being a little bit more, I like the word you used earlier, spiritual about things, you know, like, you know, right. understanding, you know, we're all on this one planet together. We're stuck with the each oneness. other. Why not get to know and appreciate each other? Right. Yeah, absolutely. That oneness is so, so right. important. So, can I just give you an example? So the Please. base of CEOs in America 
are much, much higher than that in Europe or, for example, in Asia. There's a huge difference. And, and you know, and I think that itself tells you something, right? And, and it's interesting. I think uh, about 40 years ago, the difference between the CEO salary and the worker was much less than what it is now. You know, so the point is simply that, you know, that you have, you know, different cultures, you get motivated by different things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I don't. I was just having this conversation with a, gen, a, a client earlier about what motivates people. I mean, yeah. We we like to do research. I know you you've done your research. Yes. You've got your PhD, yeah. um, and you know all about the research. and And it's good to do research, and that will tell us kind of some ideals, or um, maybe prove that that the hypothesis is more true than false, or false than true, whatever. But we never really know the answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, there are very few absolute truths. On that is Earth. correct. That's that right. is that is correct. Yes. So people so, are motivated by all different things. Yeah. So you know, I've lived in Europe for about fifteen years. So I lived in Denmark for nine years, in England for six years, and uh, also spent time in Finland and France. You know, you don't talk about money in Europe. You don't. It's not something that you openly discuss. And uh, and you see that in uh, in uh, in various ways. So salaries are much lower. You know, as I was telling someone the other day about Europe, I said, you can have a very comfortable life living in Denmark, for example, but you will not be able to accumulate millions or trillions. <laughs> well, unless you write a bestseller, work some angles. I don't know. So you know, I I. Uh, so, I mean, you know, so that's in Europe is concerned. And, you know, so different places have different orientations in terms of what they value. Right. And and I don't think Dr. Kumar is saying that if you want to make a bunch of money and you love living in America, that's a bad thing. I think what he's no, saying is just, just, just be aware yes. that people have different perspectives and that right. awareness Correct. can help you manage manage yourself inside of the the uh, conversation. And, you know, I, I give this quote all the time, Dr. Kumar. Uh, I got it from my master coach. He said, um, uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. And so what we're saying here is, you know, don't set some kind of expectation through your lens only Correct. so that you end up being disappointed. You know, Correct. have that op open mindedness, patience. Right. That's what um, I Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now some people have only done one thing, lived in one area, experienced one thing. And so when they think about doing something international, doing some international business, dealing with somebody from a different culture, um, they get they might be fearful or have anxiety. And you talk yeah. about that also on your website. So yes. uh, what, what can you do to kind of manage your fear and your anxiety of stepping in that unknown culture? What, what can you do? So the first thing is to recognize that you will experience anxiety. So just the expectation or the recognition that this might happen actually is going to... Uh, calm you down, yes. Second, I think uh, if you have connections in that culture, 
you have the right people who can guide you, who can, uh, whether they're consultants or whether they're part of your network or they're friends of friends, I think you need social support. And that social support will also help in terms of reducing anxiety. And the third, as you mentioned, Nicole, is a question of expectations. You know, just, just go with an open mind. Be open to all kinds of experiences. And yeah, people are yeah. open to all kinds of experiences here. And it's just, you're, you're just adding another layer in terms of what a new experience might be. That's right. That's right. You know, um, my my one daughter, she went on a exchange and she went to Fiji, Fiji. and okay. she went to Fiji on exchange. And I'm like, you know, so the first thing I think of is beaches and sand and all this kind of stuff. And all of that was there. Uh, but, but, you know, my daughter really came back a changed person. Um, she, and then she ended up going to Nicaragua several times, you know, and I think that the thing about, you know, if you can get past the fear, anxiety, you can step yeah. out, you know, so it makes you a much uh, more informed, richer human being. Um, and she learned so much and still, still talks to people in these different countries. And I think to myself, you know, when I was coming up, I, I didn't leave Ohio, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, I mean, you don't know anything outside of Ohio, but my daughter, who's only 23 years old, has connections around the world. I mean, this well, is where, this is where it's going, right? We're going to, everybody's going to be global. I Which think. is actually interesting because when I talk to people here, I still feel a lot of them are not motivated to go overseas. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the percentage of American citizens who have passports are much lower than that, for example, in Europe. Well, I think it might be, too, that in Europe, you could go a much shorter difference and be in a different country. But yeah. if you're in St. Louis, Missouri, it's a long way to Europe. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> but but I, I do think this next generation, you know, our Gen Z's, uh, and the generation before that, they're going to, they're, they're, oh, well, they're embracing good. world that's travel good. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yes. But historically, yeah. that's not been the case. Yeah. I think, I think there's a train, there's a trend afoot. I, if I had, or if I had to be a betting woman, I would bet on our next generation <laughs> that they're going to go out there and do amazing things. Absolutely. All right. So tell me again, why do you believe that some uh, leaders can take on these international challenges better than others. Um, so, so what are the what are the keys other than being mindful, patient, and having that emotional attunement, sense of curiosity? What are some other skills that you need to have in order to be successful? So, I would say you know I think you need to be a good integrator, which is to say bring people from different perspectives. Uh, and different mindsets uh, all together. And I think because leading a globally diverse team is not easy. And, you know, there can be challenges and difficulties. But on the other hand, if you're able to do it, you can create a completely different kind of an organization. And so I think you need to be able to, uh, to be a good integrator, you need to be able to, very fundamentally, you need to be able to get other people to trust you and you to trust them. 
because without that level of trust, right, I think it'll be very difficult. And one, one dimension of trust is respect, which is so often enough what happens is in global companies, uh, uh, the headquarters does not trust the subsidiary. And so any input coming from local subsidiary is often viewed through a jaundiced lens of the headquarters. And it's partly a power issue, political issue, who is going to make the decision as to what's going to be done. But partly, I think it's also a question of really lack of understanding. You know, headquarters thinks we know best. And, uh, and this has obviously also led to problems in, in, a number of, uh, in a number of cases, yes. So I know some American companies exited India after a long time because they could not they could not actually do the very fundamental thing, which is to sell a product that the consumer wants. Right. <laughs> so they have their own mindset in terms of what it needs to be done. And then so they lost out to other competitors, yes. Right, right. Yeah, and um, I, I like the fact that um, you're talking about respect. You have another article on your website called Learning from Different Cultures. Yes. Um, and, and I think that that's another skill that, that leaders have sure. to have is the ability to be like a lifelong learner. You know, Absolutely. and curiosity is, curiosity is a little bit like that, but really yeah. like the desire to add to your, your business acumen or your cultural acumen right. is important. Yeah, you say that uh, on your website that one of the things that really helped you when you traveled and you were in all of these different countries yeah. is that you, you began to see uh, your weaknesses. So un- tell me how understanding your weaknesses is an asset. Well, so you know exactly what is missing, what is lacking, and you know what you actually need to do. So I was coming from a collectivistic culture to an American culture, which is much more individualistic, much more aggressive. You've got to really stand out. You've really got to do a lot of self-promotion. Yes. Whereas in other cultures, that's not the case. So it takes a while to get to uh, to get that aggressive. Now, I would not say that I can be similar to a person who's born in this country, because that will never happen. But what I can say is I can, to a certain degree, try to uh, become more uh, uh, more in congruence with the local cultural norms. Right, right. And um, I think, too, is uh, this thing of self-assessment is huge. I have my own coaching methodology and the and the very first part of it is self-assessment. Sure. You know, you, you got you got to turn the mirror inwards. You got to figure out what's going on with me before you start right. pointing a finger at everybody else. What's going on with them? You better put, you know, because if you go like this, you're pointing one at them and four back at you. Right. So you got to so, do that. Sure. So I was coming from a culture which is very security focused. A prevention right. focused, yes, which is that you, you the the goal is to minimize losses or risks. American culture is probably the most aggressive, most promotion focused. You know, people want to achieve their goals and then move on to do something else. So very different orientation. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing is, is there are times when you need to be a self-promoter. You know, you, you got to take care of yourself. You've got to be. Yeah. And then there are times when you need to step back and support. I mean, sure, sure, and I think sure. really that's where self-awareness comes right. in. It's like when to assert, when to pull back and doing that in a, a beautiful, beautiful way. So I yeah, you, and I, I believe you need a balance between promotion and prevention. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can't agree more. Yeah. And the other thing that you said that you've learned is to accept ambiguity. And I Absolutely. think that's so good because change, change is coming. So you better be okay with not understanding but what exactly know, what's happening. People are very uncomfortable <laughs> with ambiguity, right? So, and I think that's again a scale that I think leaders should have because you're navigating in a very, very ambiguous environment. Yes, and Absolutely. you've got to learn to uh, tolerate this, and um, and certainly across cultures and all of it, I think it's very, very important to consider that. Yeah. And um, I have a change readiness uh, program that I do for companies when they're getting ready to go into a big change. Um, and when you make a big change, there's going to be ambiguity. And one of the the key character traits is tolerance for ambiguity. I think it's yeah. a, is something that people really, really need to, to work on is, you know, like, let's just see what happens. Let's give it a try. Let's just roll with it. Right. So right. Um, that is so important. Yeah. And then finally, you say that um, it's important uh, to have emotional tranquility. Now, earlier you said emotional attunement, but like yeah. you personally have to have emotional tranquility. Talk a little bit about that, because that, that sounds fantastic. Well, what I mean is that, uh, you know, you're going to experience emotions, you know, whether it's frustration, anger, surprise, or whatever it is. And what I mean to say by emotional tranquility is that do not jump, do not just react instantaneously to the emotions that you have. And I think a lot of people tend to do that. And there is the... uh, there is often, I would say, uh, poor conflict resolution skills and also a lack of impulse control. Because I think the problem, as you will appreciate, is once you get into an emotional outburst, it changes the situation. The party is over. The negotiation is over. <laughs> it's over. Right. So, you know, or, you know, so I think uh, so... So you need to be you need to be very measured, and also I think we know from research and otherwise that our first reaction to any emotion is not necessarily the most productive one. But uh, but we've seen that uh, at least in recent years, people are more often interested in a shouting match than in actually uh, coming together. Yeah. Yeah. And and really, um, this is very scientific because I, I'll tell Dr. Kumar what he already knows, but maybe some of you may not be aware of those yeah. of you listening is is um, emotional tranquility. Again, I think would be like this idea of emotional intelligence, but every single human, no matter where you come from, you have an, an amygdala, which is this little lizard sized brain at the right. base of your neck. And it's responsible, uh, as I understand it, Dr. Kumar, for fight and flight. But now there are two more. They say that the human brain has evolutionized further and there's fight, flight, freeze and deflect. Fight, flight, freeze and deflect. And that 
and that when you get I like to say it like this because it has a little punch, yeah. but like you get hijacked, you're like your amygdala takes over. You're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly. when you lose your emotional tranquility. But if you can recognize and then with your limbic brain, which is more in the center part of your head, you know, you're like, oh, that just made me angry. You know, recognizing. Yeah. yeah. And then finally coming to this big forehead, because look, Dr. Kumar has a big forehead and so do I, I see that. And so we finally get up here and we're, we, we stop and we go, that made me very angry. However, I don't think he understood my culture. I don't think he really meant anything by it. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the problems in anger is that uh, you get angry because you perceive someone else has done something to you. And that right. someone has done it intentionally. Now, you may be mistaken in any relationship. It may well be have been an accident. Sometimes, of course, it is intention, but not all the cases. So why deliberately jump to that assumption of conscious intention? And of course, once you assume of conscious intention, then you, you know, that then you know the interaction enters into the uh, not a very productive space. That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, your the ego hangs out somewhere Absolutely. down here around by your, by your amygdala, you know, it's like, you know, how dare he? Well, he wasn't even daring. He just said something he shouldn't have said. He made a mistake. You know, he did, you know, he wasn't pa- all those things. He wasn't open-minded. He wasn't patient. Sure. Um, and he wasn't curious. He made an assumption, right? And so you got to forgive people. So back to the spiritual part of that. Sure. It's very good to be forgiving too, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But I think, you know, there are very few people who can uh, who can be forgiven. I don't know. Maybe there are. Have you seen leaders being very forgiving? Uh, well, I have. Um, yeah, now, you know, but but there's the old thing, Doctor Kumar. You know, I was like, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. You know, I got to, I got to, I got to keep my radar up in case you do it again. You know, but, but I do think that, that you know, you we know people that, are going to make mistakes. Would you consider that forgiving when you say that I will forgive you, but I will not forget? Well. I think in business you do have to keep your radar up. I mean, I would give you, I would give you another, I would give you another try. Yeah, I would give you another opportunity. Sure. sure. Yeah, but I do have money on the table. I do of have course. this organization's re- reputation yeah. on the table. Right. So right. I have to be cautious. Yeah. Of absolutely. Course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I've, let's pretend we have one special listener who is like getting ready to get into international business, travel for the first time or something. Uh, if you gave them one more piece of advice, um, what, what would you share with that listener? You know, consider this as a journey of adventure. You mm, know, I, so I think go with a very positive, proactive, and, you know, just, you know, recognize that there are a lot of things you're going to be exposed to and see that you could never have imagined before. And while some of them might not be to your liking, uh, there are other things that will really uh, surprise you. And as you mentioned, your friend who went to Italy and then she yeah. started enjoying having that particular lunch and all of it. So I think you have to go with an attitude that is, uh, 
more positive, that is uh, accepting of differences, because traditionally, I think we have viewed differences as wrong. Yeah, I and, agree. <laughs> and, and so that's part of human psychology. But, you know, I think, you know, to, you need to get beyond that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Uh, we have spent some great time with Dr. Kumar. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that you can find him out on the World Wide Web. He is at globalstrategicadvisory.com. Please check out his blog and his articles where he has all sorts of great information. Um, Dr. Kumar, are you on LinkedIn? Could we find yes, you on LinkedIn on to be LinkedIn. your friend? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, if you need a person to be your guide, be your Sherpa in the international waters, give Dr. Kumar a call. And we appreciate you so much being on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. Thank you so much. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.